Our lesson this morning comes from Matthew's Gospel, the seventh chapter. We're wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I'll read seven verses 13 and 14, and then verses 24 through um, 28. Hear these words. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow, and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came, the rains fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house. But it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Someone once said he had never seen a self-made man who didn't show evidence of unskilled labor. I don't know about the self-made man, but I'm learning a lot about unskilled labor. In fact, I are one. Back in college, we would do summer mission trips, and sometimes we would do spring break and Christmas break mission trips. And this one particular summer, we were doing a mission trip in Birmingham, and I was a carpenter's assistant under the notorious carpenter, Lying John Williams. Lying John did not like us college kids at all. And Lying John took a particular dislike to me. He said, college boy, you may be able to quote Shakespeare and you may be able to spell Charlemagne, but you know absolutely nothing about being a carpenter. His assessment was based on two things. First of all, I did not chew tobacco. And second, he saw how I held a hammer way up close to the head. He said, you have to hold it down at the bottom so you can hit that nail with full power and authority. But he tolerated me. And it was the second day of this particular mission trip we were on. Lion John pulled me over, showed me a pile of lumber. He said, college boy, I want 10 boards cut. I want them exactly 72 inches long. And I'll be back to check on you. So I took the first board, pulled out my handy-dandy tape measure, measured 
72 inches, marked it, took the square, put it across, marked it, took out my power saw, you know, the kind that had this kind of power, because Lion John was not going to let us college kids have any power tools, and I took that first board and voompa, 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 72 inches. Took the second board, laid it across, laid the board across the sawhorses, took the first board, laid it on top of the second board, marked it, took the saw, woomba, woomba, woomba. Ah, great cut. Took that second board, held on to it, took the third board, laid it across the sawhorses, put the second board on top of the third board. Some of you see what's coming here. Voompa, voompa, voompa. I can continue that process. Put the next board down and I would measure it by the former board. Lion John had been standing at the corner the whole time watching me. So he came and he noticed that I had not cut off an appendage and he was proud. Good work, college boy. Let's see the boards. And Lion John took those seven two by fours and he stood them up. And I was shocked because there was a two and a half inch dis difference between the first board and the last board. And Lion John threw them on the ground. And he said, okay, college boy. I want you to get back after them. I want you to level them up. But I want you to remember this. When you're measuring or cutting boards, always use the same stick. Wise man. When you're measuring or cutting boards, always use the same stick. And I want to say to the church, when you're measuring your life, you measure it against Jesus Christ. That's the measuring stick. For a while now, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. The New Common Lectionary started it when the year rolled over and we started reading Matthew's Gospel and we landed on the Sermon on the Mount and I just couldn't quit. I've got to preach through all the Sermon on the Mount, so we're heading toward Jesus wrapping up the sermon. But the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, the scripture tells us Jesus went up on a mountain and he gathered his disciples around him. The Sermon on the Mount is not written as an evangelistic tool to have those who don't know Christ come to know Christ. If anything, the Sermon on the Mount would kind of scare people away. The Sermon on the Mount is written... It was preached, it was inspired and placed in scripture for the church. The Sermon on the Mount is how we're supposed to live as children of God. It's the measuring stick by which we measure our lives. In the seventh chapter, Jesus <clears throat> is rolling out and finishing up this big picture of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and follower of Christ. And he starts with the text we read that we are to first of all enter. 
That's the first step of, of becoming a disciple of Christ. We enter into a relationship with him. We, some people enter into the church to find that relationship with him, but we enter into a relationship with Jesus. And then as Jesus is talking about false prophets and knowing a, a tree by its fruit, he says the other part of being a disciple is to know. Know who your friends are. Know what truth is. Know what the gospel is all about. Know when you're being deceived. And then as we get to the tail part of our text, Jesus said, then you need to go out and act upon. You need to do. And that is, is sort of the movement that the Sermon on the Mount has for being a Christian disciple. We're to first enter into this relationship with Christ, enter into this body of the church, and then we're to know we are to deepen our understanding of Christ. We're to deepen our understanding of Scripture. We're to deepen the community that we have together as we, we know Christ and know the power of the Holy Spirit. And then... We're to go out and do. We always hear Jesus best with our feet. If we're not doing it, if we're not living it, have we entered in? Have we heard it? Do we know it? So that's hidden away in the seventh chapter of Matthew. But I want to get to what you've got questions about. Enter. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate's wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. One day I think Louisiana needs to grow up and become the state of Texas. I think that should be our goal as a state, to become the state of Texas, or at least a suburb of the state of Texas. Texas has the most wonderful toll road system interstates eh, but you get on those toll roads there's a toll road that leads from the airport in austin up north to um, the city proper and georgetown and and pflugerville and some other things like that and the cool thing about that that toll road is it's three and four lanes wide on either side you have to pay to get on it. And the speed limit signs say, zoom, zoom. <laughs> so there was one uh, family event we were having in Georgetown, and I was doing some preacher stuff and couldn't go with uh, the first wave. I said, I've got to fly in. Somebody picked me up. My brother-in-law, Scott, came and picked me up. Now, I'm, Scott and his wife, Donna, are dinks. You know what a dink is? Double income, no kids. They have this wonderful job. They both work for Dell, and they work for Dell in North Carolina. I haven't figured that one out yet. And, and Scott and Donna have both, in their married life, tended to have interesting vehicles. At this point, Scott had a BMW that had numbers and letters, and it was just a fast car. And Scott said to me when he picked me up, you want to go home on the toll road? Yeah, let's get on that toll road. That toll road was a wide toll road. And, and not a lot of people in Texas like paying for the toll roads. There are not a lot of cars on them. There are no trucks on them. We had four glorious lanes, all of our, all of our 
all to us. And at one point, I looked over at the speedometer, and the little needle had gone past 100, and it was nudging 110. And I'm thinking, this is fun. I like this. Can we have these in North Louisiana? I, I could get from Gibsland to, to Ruston in, in record time if I could do 110 miles an hour. Of course, I'd have to get a car that wasn't named Weezer to do that. But it was a wide road. It was a smooth road. We weren't paying any attention. My little old, my little old Toyota, it's a hybrid. It's one of those hybrids Toyota had to figure out how to make the car make a noise so you would know if I was sneaking up on you. My little hybrid, I can push a button in it and the cruise control will keep me from running over you. But the little guy that keeps you in the lane will keep me in the lane. It will physically turn my car to keep me in the lane. So I can turn the cruise control on, I can turn the little lane thing on, and I can, I can be in prayer. That's how some people live. They live on those wide roads. This is the easy way I'm going to drive fast. This is cool. So hang on to that image, wide gate, wide paved Texas toll road. Then Jesus said, the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few that find it. Do you hear the difference in how Jesus said it? One road people just take. The other road they find. Back in, um, it was 1990, we went to Hawaii and spent um, way too much time in Hawaii. We were on the big island, we went to Kauai, and we went to Maui. And when we were on the island of Maui, I wanted to do the Hana Highway. I wanted to do the Hana Highway because at the end of Hana Highway, there is a grave. Charles Lindbergh is buried at the end of the Hana Highway. And I wanted to go to Lindbergh's grave and take a picture. Uh, you know, it was historic and he was a, a, a famous aviator and I was interested in aviation. So we got in the car and we're heading on the Hana Highway to Lindbergh's grave, which is at the end of the Hana Highway in Hana. The Hana Highway is 65 miles long. In that distance, it has 56 one-lane bridges. The Hana Highway, 65 miles long, has 620 switchbacks. Not curves, switchbacks. It's the only highway I've ever been on that I was driving the vehicle and taking Dramamine at the same time. It is just... Now, this was 1990, y'all. GPS was much different in 1990. Actually, there was a problem in the 90s with men driving cars because back in the day, when a man was driving a car in a town or a place he had never been to, the man never would stop and ask for directions. The man was always say, I know where I'm going. I, I see a familiar landmark. And, and the wife 
who was the GPS service in the car at that time, would say, you are lost. You need to stop and ask someone. I am not going to do that. We're going to drive until I see something I recognize. So my GPS is sitting on the seat beside me. She has the map that the rental company gave us for the car. And it has the Hana Highway and the falls and the great lookout places. And we're stopping and taking pictures and having a good time. And I'm, I'm popping Dramamine and Benadryl because these curves are starting to get to me. And we get to a place where I think I'm at the end of the Hana Highway. There's this little white church down in a valley. But I don't see a road to turn down there. I can see the church. I can see a little cemetery. No road to turn. And I look at my GPS person and she goes, yeah, I don't know. So I said, well, maybe there's a church on down the road here. So we're driving on the Hana Highway and it's not that wide a highway. Uh, it's barely two lane width. You know, you got to suck in your mirrors when a tour bus comes by you. And the road keeps getting narrower and narrower. And the pavement changes from really great blacktop to roads that look like they were paved in Natchitoches Parish. And since I used to sit on the parish council, I can talk about their lousy roads. And it went from that to gravel. And it's gone from this this I'm down to about car width and on this side of the car is a cliff and I can't tell how high it is because I can't see the top of it from the driver's seat so I can't turn right and on this side of the car probably a hundred feet down is the Pacific Ocean. It's beautiful and it's pristine, but I'm thinking getting there to look at it's really gonna hurt. <laughs> can't turn right, can't turn left. Reverse is not my best gear. So we kept going. Now the map they gave us had a little dotted line that said no rental cars past this point. And I'm thinking, that's three miles back there. What's going to happen to us? Am I just going to have to abandon the car and walk? What are we going to do? GPS at that point was no help. She told me, you should have turned around when we still could. I thought if she just said recalculating, I probably would have done that, but she didn't say that. And I kept going, and the road just, I thought, how am I going to keep these tires on this road? I'm, I need to get over there in the cliff face and take some painting off the, paint off this car. And then all of a sudden, the road widened out, it was back to being gravel, and then the road got wider, and it was blacktop. And I was still in the dotted zone that said, don't take rental cars past here. And I found out the coolest thing on the island of Maui, in places you're not supposed to take your rental car, is once you survive the cliff, 
in the Pacific Ocean, they grazed sheep on the back part of the island of Maui. There were these undulating hills and there were sheep everywhere. What are sheep doing in Hawaii? But they're there. I saw them. They graze cattle. I didn't know that. But I found it out because I, I had to stay. I had to stay on the path I was on. And you're thinking, oh, this is so simple, Doug. It, it, the wide path, that's what sinners do. They, they live according to the world. They don't have any regard for Christ. They don't have any regard for, for moral decency. They're just out living that wild life on that big, wide road, just having, just having fun. And the narrow path, that's what the Christians do because that's what Jesus wants us to do. And did you hear me tell you at the beginning that the Sermon on the Mount is written to Christians. So it's Christians, church people, some people are on the wide path and some people are on the narrow path. And again, it's not particularly Jesus making a moral statement or saying, if you're doing these five things as a Christian, you obviously are on the, the wrong path. You're on the wide road. You need to give up some of your sins. And if, if you've only got one or two sins in your life, you must be on the narrow path. That's not what Jesus is saying. What he was saying is, how do you live your life? How does your faith show itself? And you have to go back to what Jesus said previously on the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going I'm to I'm explain it. Jesus said, you heard it said of those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. Man, that's a, that's a big, wide road we're traveling, not murdering. There is not a murder in this place, okay? You are all guiltless of murder. You haven't, I haven't seen your picture in the post office. You are not on America's Most Wanted. You have not committed a murder. Wide road. That's easy, man. I can just travel this road. I can just go this road. I don't have to worry about murdering another human being. And Jesus keeps talking. But I say to you that if you're angry with a brother or sister, whoops, roads just got narrower. If you're angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the judgment. If you insult a brother or sister, You'll be liable to the council. The road's getting narrower. And if you say you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. Mm, that's not good. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. Go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister. Then come offer your gift. There is no way I'm doing that. And I said that on behalf of you. You see what Jesus did? It's an easy, it's an easy road to say, ah, I haven't killed anybody, not going to. But as Jesus brings these truths internally to us, as we have to grapple with the emotions or the thoughts or the anger that would cause us to murder, Suddenly that wide road that's easy to take becomes a narrow path. And here's the kicker. Few people find it. 
Why is it so hard to find? Because that would involve attitudinal adjustments. And sometimes I like my attitude, even though it's not godly. Sometimes my heart is hardened. And this narrow path starts happening when God starts chipping away at your heart. When he starts softening your heart. When you realize that what goes on inside internally leads to external behavior. That's the contrast Jesus is drawing for us with the, the wide way, the easy way, and the narrow path. And by the way, the Greek word for narrow means compressed, the squeezed in path. Because as you look at part of the Sermon on the Mount, it starts squeezing you. It starts putting you in a place where you're uncomfortable, where you can't turn to the right, you can't turn to the left. You've got to keep walking with Jesus to find out how he is going to work things out in your life and with you. And so Jesus concludes all this by saying, look, if you're listening to me, if you're hearing these words of mine and you're doing them, you are like a wise man who built his house on a rock. You have a firm foundation. I like a firm foundation. I don't want to have to call in Nolan Ryan with Old Shan. You know, I, do, do you catch that? Nolan Ryan is the pitch man for Old Shan. The man who used to throw pitches is now a pitch man. Some of us remember Nolan Ryan when he pitched because after every pitch he grunted. You knew he was on the mound. But people have foundation problems and their foundation cracks and it affects the, the beauty of their home and it affects the security of their home. Jesus is saying, if you're listening to my words, if you're living out my words, if you're struggling with my word, trying to live it out, you're a person whose house is built on the rock. But if you ignore me, you've got sand under you. And it doesn't matter if you're on the foundation or if you're on the sand, there's going to be storms. The rain's going to fall, the floods are going to come, the wind's going to blow. What's going to happen to your house? Well, a house built on the rock will stand. A house built on the sand will fall. I can almost see Jesus preaching this sermon. He makes eye contact with every one of them. And the unasked question is, which path are you on? Which kind of foundation are you building for your faith and for your life? Would you stand and pray with me? Help us, O oh God, to build our life and our foundation on Christ the solid rock. 
We claim that rock and we want to stand on that rock and we want Christ under us, Christ beside us, Christ ahead of us, Christ above us, Christ beside us. When the storms of life come, be with us as we choose a path and as we change paths and as we change direction so that the path we're on will always lead us to you. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.